0: Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast. Podcast we are very much ready for. Yes. (laughs) It is for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh.
1: And I am Josh Hallman.
0: As a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the Everyday Working Screenwriter. This podcast is just one of the many cool initiatives that we do, so thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any upcoming topics and interviews and announcements. And hey, if you're there, just kind of give us a rating or write a comment or... You can also just DM us with questions. We get really cool topic suggestions from listeners at our email address at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm on the things. I'm Instagram at Story Thursday and Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I
1: am Joshua Hallman on Twitter and Josh Hallman on Instagram.
0: I feel like I want to give you this intro to do so I don't have to hear my voice every single time.
1: No, no, no. that That's that's the thing. You do it. You do the thing. I don't like and it. Then, but <laughs> I, I do think I could do it if I...
0: Season four, it's all Josh Holman.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so back in the day, Tasha, when I was dabbling in YouTube, mm. all these creators, which still exist, they have a little a little phrase. It's called a call to action. Mm-hmm, and a call to mm-hmm. action is when... You're like, hey, go do this for me,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I'm going to have a call to action right now. Oh shit! Just go rate this po- the podcast a five, <laughs> or <laughs> six, or whatever the fuck they're eighty. 80- oh, and I'm going to try to stop swearing on the podcast. By the way, are you? Yeah, I'm going to ta- tell. Does that mean I
0: have here. to also?
1: No, never mind. uh But yeah, <laughs> you know, it would be good to it would be good to you know just rate and like. And, and someone told me they were like, you just have to k- keep asking people to like get the podcast out there. I'm like, all right, cool. There it is, pan I like
0: it. I'm gonna go do. I probably haven't done it either, so i I should go do it first because <laughs> you know, people. Anyway, anyways. yeah, yeah. Uh, this week in writing.
1: Yeah, this week in writing, we have a big topic, but we have a lot of this week in writing.
0: I'm really excited about our this week's in writing. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we had the writer David H. Steinberg on our podcast talking about his time management skills and he laid out in detail how he schedules his life so that he can have a life while also making a living off of writing features and television show running television on top of that
1: and tasha was never the same after the podcast
0: literally every day i feel like i texted you that like i'm not okay (laughs) this david h steiberg episode has blown my mind (laughs) and i'm like still reeling from it and then after a week, I picked myself up <laughs> and started doing it. Actually, I started doing it in my hero's journal, which mm. everyone should check out. And it has changed my life for a week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it sounds like you have been messaging me and you've been like, this Dave Steinberg routine, this methodology, it's just, it's crazy. You have more time on your hands. You're getting things done. Yeah. Is it the way?
0: It's the way. And here's, can I just say, can I just preach about why it works? Yeah. Why it's currently working for a week. <laughs> um, so when I say in my calendar, like I'm going to work from 9 to 1030, I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel at 1030 where I've like scheduled in. And this is what he talks about. He's like, he scheduled schedules in goof off time, right? For mm. me, it's scheduling. I'm actually going to go eat my lunch at a proper time. And yeah. so now that I have that scheduled in, I work so hard and so effectively from 9 to 1030 or whatever it is because I'm not on my phone because that that's it. That's phone time is scheduled for <laughs> my lunchtime. Yeah. Like that's when where, I do my phone stuff.
1: Where do you put your phone?
0: It is actually always near me.
1: Do you don't have the desire to just glance, do a little no. screen glance? Wow. No. That's great. Yeah. Put it, I have to put it in the other room but okay. So oh
0: interesting. Going. Yeah no I mean that that's really it like it's it I'm just advocating for it. Take a listen to that episode if you haven't already because I'm not joking that it's changed my life. I have so much yeah. more free time now and I'm someone who's working 12 to 16 hours a day and I am not now. I've watched mm. half of a season of Picard oh. which I've been wanting to see forever and I've been like cooking and wow. i mean reading magazines like what i've not had this time before
1: well here's the thing cuz i i was thinking about it as well and something i actually wish i would have talked to him about mm. was w- what is practical for somebody who doesn't have the ability to write throughout the day yeah and i was thinking about that and i think when you boil david's method down and now the tasha method let's just steal it from him <laughs> The te- when you boil the Tasha method down, it really comes down to, I think, like creating a habit. So if you mm-hmm. work and you come home at you know six or seven at night and you're burnt the f- heck out, you are then like, all right, well, I just have to power through. I'm going to do two hours tonight. And you just have to set that. And once you get into a repetition of doing this over and over and over, you create the habit and then it's there.
0: Yeah. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me was how much his long-time experience, him being a veteran in the industry has clearly affected his ability to be this organized and to be this habitual with the yeah. way that he writes. I still feel like I'm in a in a stage where I'm trying to learn how to be that habitual and it's not that like there are days where I just won't write and I'm just not i'm just you know sometimes i'm just goofing off and i'm not writing it's not like that's not my issue it's just because he's so experienced he is able to wrap his mind around being able to complete a screenplay in mm-hmm. a very short set amount of time because he's done it so many times that it's just it's his job now whereas for me every new job i get i'm like oh my god how do i write a screenplay again and, yeah, yeah yeah oh geez this is so overwhelming and he just has done it so long that that's no longer his reaction to getting work. It's It was clear that, A, that there's a way to start getting started to become yeah. more like David H. Steinberg, which is starting to practice and make these habits, but also some having some forgiveness for yourself because it really does take experience to get there. It's just time, honestly. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm working on now. What I tell myself my goal is, is not to be like David H. Steinberg with his amazing Mm -hmm. time management. It's just to, today for today, can I follow a schedule? Cool. Can I also do it tomorrow? Cool. And it's just taking it at a time until it's a habit. But yes, the nine to five people, it's so much harder. Like for me, after my job as an assistant, where it was more like 8.30 to 7.30. Right. That's why... We would go to um, IHOP so often in mm-hmm. our early days of writers group is because if I went home, I'd go to sleep, yeah, <laughs> or we, I I would just sit in front of the TV.
1: Yeah, we used to go to IHOP for the listener. After we'd meet at like nine o'clock, yeah. which just seems unbelievable at this point. We'd go until like eleven, eleven yeah. thirty, or twelve, or whatever it was, and then do it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was the best. We would just yeah pile into a booth and order pancakes and Diet Coke. <laughs> it's real healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was great, great, great nine PM eating.
0: <laughs> but I think that's the key. You're right. It's like scheduling in that time. It's like if you come coming from your nine to five job, maybe it's scheduling in your dinner, and then from seven to nine, it's I have to work. It's it's yeah. saying that like basically I have a meeting with myself, and that meeting is to write, and that that's I think the way to do it if you have a nine to five
1: yeah yeah. did you have anything else on that?
0: No, I mean, I could go on for an entire episode about this, but I'll shut up.
1: No, we can do a companion piece right now to that episode. <laughs> we could just keep talking about it.
0: It'll show up on all of this weeks and writings from now on.
1: Yeah, create the habit. That's it. As I get a little bit older, I do feel like I can kind of push away things that aren't important to me, meaning mm-hmm. I used to watch a lot of sports talk shows. Because we're in the playoffs right now for the NBA, or if it's football season, God help me! I'm always watching something about the Green Bay Packers. But I've gotten a little better at being like, "Hey, listen, man, chill out. You don't have to watch two straight hours of Aaron Rodgers talk. You just maybe make <laughs> it like ten minutes or something like that." And just, it's things like that where it used to bleed into my writing time, and I I couldn't help it. I was always thinking about it, but mm-hmm. you just realize like what's important, what's not. I feel like if you can kind of cut through what's not important, get rid of that shit and just write.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also if you scheduled in your Aaron Rodgers time.
1: Oh yeah. That's helpful. You would allow
0: yourself that.
1: I'm just going to be thinking about what I'm going to be watching while I'm (laughs) writing.
0: (laughs) Suddenly all your characters' names are just Aaron Rodgers. God,
1: I wish I didn't like sports. All right, moving on. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to go into a territory we rarely go into. It's the business side of things. Okay. Recently, Netflix has been doing all of their layoffs and they've they they they've been having a lot of issues on the mm-hmm. surface, at least. I love Netflix. I want to work with Netflix. You're currently working with Netflix. So mm-hmm. this is not to say there's anything wrong with Netflix at all, but I was just really surprised at the reaction of the entertainment industry, like to not expect that Netflix was going to not hit their subscriber growth rate that they've been hitting every for the last 10 years or whatever it is like we have all these streaming services and I just feel like it was like a really reactionary thing for Mm -hmm. like for everything that's happening right now with Netflix
0: but I might be wrong
1: I might be wrong the other thing I was thinking about was I wonder if they're going to change their model because I feel like maybe the successful way to do things is to release things on a week-by-week basis so people are interested in stranger things for two straight months rather than than one night. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. It's not really a this week in writing. It's just uh, I'm worried about Netflix. I love Netflix.
0: I love Netflix too. And what's so exciting as a writer who can work with Netflix is how many opportunities that seem to arise there. Mm-hmm. It's it was always it was all there's this kind of gold rush mentality to netflix of well we could always take it to netflix they're kind of buying everything and clearly that's come back to bite them in the butt which is a little it's scary i feel like writers are now kind of wondering what the landscape is going to look like if netflix is starting to close up a little bit but
1: we'll see there's just so many outlets now
0: it was bound to be forced to compete in a different way so we'll see. We're probably going to get ads on our streaming stuff, and um, I read yesterday that they're getting into mobile gaming somehow. Netflix, um, yeah, and they're going to do the live streaming of unscripted series and oh. live streaming of comedy shows. So they're they're thinking outside the box.
1: Oh, that's outside the box
0: as a reaction.
1: That that used to be called television. That, I don't know how outside the box, like live shows are in the oh, commercials. Oh
0: you're so right. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're reverting. That's thinking outside the box. Holy crap, you're right.
1: Fuck. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Moving on.
0: Okay. So I have another this week in writing that I also talked to you about separately, but I just found it so interesting. It was a, a moment came up in Tomb Raider where. Yeah. In the middle of an action scene, we wanted to do a comedy beat and the comedy beat wasn't working. And so I was like, why isn't it working? It's really bothering me. And the director said, well, I really want it to feel like Indiana Jones. Like that's very much the sort of inspiration for, for the comedy beat here. And I was like, whoa, 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 stop, yeah. stop everything. You just said the magic word, Indiana Jones, Let's let's figure out why it works in Indiana Jones and why it's not working here. <laughs> the great idea. And, <laughs> everything Indiana Jones will always be a great idea. We kind of discovered in t- in talking through this is how even the comedy beats in action sequences in Indiana Jones have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect segue into what we're talking about today, which is actions, action sequences, but specifically speaking about adding comedy into your action. Sequences. If you think about Indiana Jones, there's always kind of a setup before the comedy beat happens, and then there is a consequence to the comedy beat that changes the direction of the action sequence, and suddenly Mm -hmm. there are now consequences to this comedy thing that has happened. And I'm trying to think of an example off the bat, and my mind goes to, let's say, the beat where... Um, it's in Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Marion is been, being taken mm-hmm. and he's Indy's like rushing through the crowd in the marketplace and he gets stopped by a guy who ha- has like the sword that he's like really epic with the sword and he's like going back and forth proving his sword skills and then Indy just takes out his gun and shoots him. That's a comedy beat in the middle of something that's really, really tense, which is Marion is getting kidnapped. I have to save her. But there is a beginning, middle, and end to that sequence, meaning the way it's shot is that he's running. He stops and is now faced with this new guy. That's kind of the beginning of the sequence. And oh, no, this guy is really good at swords. How is Indy going to defeat this guy who's really good with swords? Boom! Indy shoots him, and then carries on. There's like three beats there, and mm-hmm. what the equivalent of what was in the um, the Tomb Raider episode I'm referring to was just like the gun sequence, like just shooting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like
0: it doesn't it doesn't work without the other pieces bringing it together and, and telling its own mini story within that action set piece. So anyways, it just I found it really interesting to have to think in that kind of minuscule um, sort of micro way because it was bumping me and I couldn't really express why until we framed it in this Indiana Jones way. And I just think that's a really great example of how to think about all of our stuff when we start to add comedy into our action is how are we adding it in and how can we really make it punch in a way that's not just cheap?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how can it relate back to the character?
0: Mm hmm. That's right. something else that we discussed, right?
1: Yeah. Like almost like the comedy create makes the character become a little bit more um, capable. hmm. And you get to see some things that the character maybe didn't do before. You're like, oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah like one of the notes that came up was, does the comedy be actually its consequence is that now Laura has to think on her feet in a different way and show that she's creative in a different way than before the comedy beat happens. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It creates a ca- new character dynamic that forces us to learn something new about her. And also, there is there a plot consequence? I think of two, also Indiana Jones, because I always think their action sequences are perfect, is <laughs> in Last Crusade, the whole tank sequence is incredible, but there are like these mini sequences within it. And there is, for example... Um, a comedy beat where one of the Nazis is underneath and he's looking through the, the telescope thing. Yeah. And I think Indy's face gets like slammed against the telescope up, upstairs. And he's like, the Nazi's laughing. And he thinks it's so funny. And then he turns to tell his buddy how funny it is. And then upstairs Indy kicks it. And so now it smacks the Nazi in the head and he yeah. goes down, which the consequence of that is that it now allows um, Henry Sr., to get in on the action and kind of take control for a time inside the tank. So if there are consequences to the comedy as well, that absolutely makes it feel earned.
1: My God, we should do a breakdown of why the dynamic in Last Crusade works between father-son. I'm so
0: here for that. The father-son story, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because the history behind that episode is also so good. Uh, Behind the movie? Yeah. Ep- movie sorry <laughs> that episode of yeah, that, Indiana
1: oh, Jones whoa easy <laughs> easy yeah, yeah yeah all right I'm in for that
0: that's my this week in writing
1: I don't have anything else I just want to say one thing before we go into the big topic I was talking with my friend Kai recently
0: mm-hmm. and hi, he Kai. Was
1: pitch- hi Kai he was pitching an idea and he said um yeah you know it's like back to the future and he started it like that in my eyes just lit up and i was like yeah whatever you're about to say i'm in and it made me think of your indiana jones story because he actually said to me if someone's ever pitching you something and they're trying to get you to write something or trying to get you around on an idea you just have to compare it to back to the future and you're pretty <laughs> much sold i was like yep so
0: it's so anyway. true it's like the spot on a dog that like it's like their button for me <laughs> you say indiana jones or you say top Gun. Or you say Harry Potter, those three. I'm like, yeah, we'll do anything to be any of those things.
1: <laughs> it's Top Gun meets Indiana Jones.
0: Oh my God. I once engaged <laughs> I'm sorry, tangent. I once engaged no. on a on a project and, and pitched and it and took so much time to pitch this project because they they told me they pitched it as Top Gun in a sci fi world. I was like, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh never. It's never going to get made.
1: No, but maybe it'll anyways. come back. All right. Big okay. topic.
0: Today we are talking about a list that ScreenCraft put out that is called the five must-haves for writing action sequences. And I thought this was interesting because we're always talking about action movies. It's kind of our bread and butter. And I just wanted to see if we agreed or disagreed with yeah. their list.
1: Yeah, because you had sent it over to me and I kind of took a look at it. And we I think we maybe exchanged a few messages about it or something to that. It, you know, they obviously come out with a lot of lists, but for some reason, this one definitely struck a chord. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go into it because there's some, some things to talk about.
0: Yeah. Do you okay. want to kick it off?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. So the number one thing is your action sequence should have a beginning, a middle and end. This is pretty much what you just said. <laughs>
0: But what's crazy is like we were just talking about comedy in an action sequence. But if you'd even take a bigger step back, your action sequence on top of your comedy sequence that also has a beginning, middle, and end, should also have a beginning and a middle and end. And it's something that Spielberg teaches you just by existing. Go watch every Spielberg movie with an action oh sequence. Oh my in God. Spielberg's <laughs> the best.
1: But yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Every single I mean, I think we've actually kind of talked about this before, but every action sequence definitely should have a beginning, a middle, an end. And it's, I think the way they're described in this article is it's almost like a roller coaster ride where you're like ticking up, you're like tick, 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 and then Mm -hmm. you drop. And when you drop, that's like kind of right around the middle part. And then you're just flying down towards the end. And it has to be somewhat exhilarating where there's, and when we say beginning, middle and end, in my mind, at least it is, there are obstacles that need to be overcome. There are like your action sequence just can't be running down the street. It's like. Oh, my God! I'm running down the street and there's now construction equipment in my way, and there's a pothole, and yeah. now there's wet cement, and now there's a ninja throwing knives at me, and I have to run to the wet cement, and now what do I do to get out of it? Like that's kind of how a beginning, middle, and end in my mind works.
0: yeah, yeah i
1: what how I have a comp a that mind? is oh. not
0: a good one because i and I feel like people have have room to argue with me, but I'm thinking of like a fast and furious one.
1: yeah, sold.
0: Race down the street. Compared to it's <laughs> terrible. This is, I I shouldn't say it. Ready Player 1, when they're when they do their race, obviously that's in a fantasy game world and yeah. you know, there's but there's so much that happens. There's so many obstacles to that what is essentially a street race that is a straight line and more of that. <laughs> Just more of that.
1: You're putting me in a tough spot because I love Steven Spielberg and I love Dom Toretto. So I don't know if I'm like supposed to choose one or <laughs> but yeah, in in Fast and Furious, actually actually a really good example because there's always just really, really crazy things that happen. And I think the most famous kind of action sequence throughout Fast and Furious, I believe, is in Fast Five, and it's when they steal the safe. That's the one with the rock. And yeah. they literally attach a safe to the back of a, a car and they're driving it through Brazil. And it's like swinging around corners. It's getting looped mm-hmm. on things. And I mean, it is just bananas. Yeah. But it's a, it seems like chaos, but there is a beginning, a middle,
0: end, and an end. Yeah. I mean, especially when you get into live action and big sequences like this, and you're having to break them down for production... There's no way you actually can't think of it as a beginning, middle and end, because that's just when you're boarding it and you're trying to figure out logistics, it really will behoove you to think of it this way to begin with and to write it this way. Um, But besides any kind of practical reason, it's obviously just far more emotionally investing because you can watch the coolest action sequence ever but you kind of sort of don't care about it. It doesn't really, you can just pluck it right out of the movie and you may even forget about it afterwards if there wasn't the emotional bit that was bringing you through, whether it's my hero is in really insane danger that I've never seen before, or holy shit, my hero just did something that I've never seen a character do before. And I will be a broken record through this whole thing, but I think the bus fight and nobody is a fantastic (laughs) example of a beginning, middle and end action sequence that really works because it has a three act structure. I love it. Also my realtor just called. <gasps> should I take this?
1: Yeah, you should. Okay. Hold on. Podcast listeners. We just took a break. Yeah, I did. Tasha's is going to be a different person throughout the rest of this podcast.
0: <laughs> you guys have bought a house.
1: <laughs> oh, it's being announced to the podcast. Yes! <laughs> oh my God
0: surprise mom no
1: (laughs) oh my god
0: (laughs) no okay we're back (laughs) we took a little break
1: oh my god to
0: get ourselves together okay besides the bus fight and nobody (laughs) there are there are obviously other options about action sequences that have three-act structures terminator 2 is another really great example all of all of that movie every action sequence has a beginning middle and end that's fantastic But when you think about it for yourself, when you go to write, you know, your beginning could be, and Josh, you and I talk about this all the time. It's so funny that, I mean, I maybe it's not, I don't know. Who cares? Okay. (laughs) My character is starts this action sequence reluctant to get into the fight. Maybe, maybe that's your beginning. Like they don't want to engage either because they're scared or they don't want to hurt someone, but then there's an inciting incident of your sequence where the hero is now forced to fight anyway. And then maybe the midpoint of your sequence is the hero gets overwhelmed either by reinforcements of henchmen or they get in over their head or they make a mistake, which is always endearing or makes you root for them. If they make a mistake, it makes them human. And now whatever that is at the midpoint, it now leads to consequences. So you have this beginning, middle and end insinuates that there are going to be consequences to your character's actions, which... Create act turning points already within themselves in the sequence.
1: Yeah, no, that all makes sense. Everything you just said. And I feel like with the high that you're currently on right now. Yeah. Watch this segue. Number two. (laughs) The stakes have to be high, real high.
0: I mean, duh, right? So the examples they give are the characters' lives are in jeopardy, there's a true danger within elements of the action sequence which is I don't know what's what's a good example I mean <laughs> Just because it's fresh in my head, the tank sequence from uh, Last Crusade, right? Yeah. The the danger element is that they're on a fucking tank, and the tank has treads that you can get caught up in. It's ramming into uh, like stone walls. like It's doing all the things. So there's danger on the actual platform that they're fighting on. So that's what I mean by there's true danger within the elements of the action sequence itself. And then the third thing that they say is there's a pursuit of something that must be attained or destroyed or stopped. And that to me is one that that doesn't always apply. Right? I don't think yeah, it applies either. No.
1: I I just don't think that necessarily applies in a action
0: sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Lives in jeopardy, yes. Absolutely. It, it's just far more engaging and dynamic if there are dangerous elements within the action sequence itself. Does it have to be this like and this is, I think, a fault of a lot of writers, and including myself, is that We think that the stakes have to be like the world is ending Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they don't, you don't have to stop the bomb at the end of every action sequence. It can be small. And the the thing that your character wants can simply be to cross a room and the the stakes are, are they going to be able to get across the room? If you, uh, you can make that really exciting. I think John Wick is a great example of doing that exact thing. He just has to get from one side of the party to the other side of the party and there are bad guys in the way. Is he going to be able to do it?
1: Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe Screencraft is right, actually. Maybe the third one. Because, yeah, I guess you do have... Something has to change. You have to yeah. not get to the end of the room. or.
0: But this is a great example of something that also came up in Tomb Raider, which is we knew that this was going to be a cool action sequence, but it wasn't totally registering that yeah. Lara Croft needed to get to this part you know, from point A to point B because of... Like a ticking clock that was happening mm-hmm. so it sort of it just became an action sequence right yeah and yeah yeah. that's fine it's, it was cool but i'm not invested and i'm kind of confused about why i'm watching this if there's not a clear end thing she has to get to so maybe that's kind of what they mean by pursuit of something that must be attained in this yeah. case just needed to get from point a to point b before the ticking clock counted down so it's thinking about those, like, can you add a ticking clock if you don't want to have the, you know, disarm the bomb kind of stakes mm-hmm. in this scenario? Is there just a personal ticking clock? Something I think small. So. There
1: has to be. Always yeah. has to be.
0: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. We're moving on. Yeah.
1: This is a really important one. Yeah. Probably the most in- important one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Revealing character moments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We've talked about this before. In the ScreenCraft uh, article, it says... You know, they give a couple examples of we learn that they're cowardly. We learn if they're heroic. We learn if they've done this before. We we learn if this is new to them. And mm-hmm. just in general, the way I look at it is like, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good way of saying what needs to happen. But you need to learn about your character in mm-hmm. action moments. 100% all the yeah. time. Like, I always, think, I always think about how resourceful Jason Bourne is, which I've st- stolen in about a million of yeah. my scripts in different moments where it's like, Jason Bourne is about to die. He has a gun to his head, but uh-oh, there's a toaster oven right next to him and mm-hmm. in his other hand there's like a like a knife mm-hmm. and he like his hand is pinned down so he flicks the knife into the toaster oven and it blows up in someone's face.
0: Yeah, you're you're super big on character and you can always see it in your action sequences, just the way someone handles themselves, reveals a little bit about themselves. And I think, too, a, a key of whether you're doing this or not is, can your action sequence exist in a different movie that you write with mm-hmm. a different character? And something that stands out to me is I wrote Red Sonia, which is an adaptation of a comic book of this barbarian woman who... Is known for being a barbarian. They're very strong. They manhandle everything and everyone. They are very brutish, and so that fighting style is going yeah. to be very different than someone like Lara Croft, who is a who's more kind of um, she's a bit more what is the word like gymnastics? There's gymnastics kind of in the way that she she moves. There's, she's agile. She's a much more agile and dexterous the fighting styles have to be different. So literally you cannot take a fighting scene from Red Sonja and put it in, in Lara Croft's personality and just go, you just can't do that. And yeah. that's a sign that you're doing it right. So the same thing with your, your scripts, Josh, all the time, whenever you read um, something that one of your characters is doing, that, that can't just be directly translated to another script. Cause there's so many like little reveals of who this person is and how they think within your action sequences um, that just yeah. don't, Exist with your other characters. And that that to me is extremely important. And just do a pass on that, to be honest. Like if you've already written it, go back into your action sequences and dig in and see if, okay, my character is this kind of person. They have this kind of backstory. How do I translate that into the fight?
1: Yeah. Um, I appreciate the, the the kind action words. I'm going to be very aware of it now to make sure I really am <laughs> doing do. it. You do. You do. But yeah, I'm all about character in, in action sequences. It has yeah. to be because it's like, You're writing, in my case, an action movie or a thriller or something. It's like, no shit. There's going to be action sequences and it has to be Mm -hmm. very specific. And it's not like you're the first person to have an action sequence on a trampoline or something like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, what if the trampoline's flying in the air? Then what?
0: When you kind of put all these things together, it really starts to make sense. For example, having a beginning and a middle and an end to your action sequence. And we talked about, does something go wrong? In your action sequence, as part of one of those turning points, well, mm-hmm. then how does your character react to that thing going wrong? Like if there's, right. they're if they're captured and they're suddenly under torture, is this a hero who tells jokes? Is this a hero who pisses themselves? Um, right. In the low point of your action sequence, uh, your hero's weapon breaks. Do they do something creative to get out of it? Do they show off some kind of deep cut survival knowledge that no one else has? Like what can go wrong? And then based on what goes wrong, how do you then show character as a reaction to that? And I think that's a really great way to not only have the number one beginning, middle and end, but also have this character stuff worked in. Okay. I'm done.
1: Actually, I'm going to pile onto that. (laughs) One more thing, like everything about an action comedy and action movies, I feel like should always be very, very grounded. Everything about it should always be grounded. And, the character moments, I know how obvious this sounds, but they should like literally come from like characters reacting exactly what Mm -hmm. you just said. You know, uh, you know, one of the writers had um, kind of a comedic name of a, like a location and we had talked about, it's like, that should be grounded and it should actually, you know, there should only be comedy that comes from characters, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So I guess what I'm saying is just a reminder, just to ground the world that you're always existing in, especially if you're trying to like pepper in some character moments or comedy or whatever the case, just don't like make it slapsticky in the outside world. Everything Mm -hmm. should always feel really, really real.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a this week in writing slash action sequence. That's
1: a good, yeah. All right. Next, plants and payoffs.
0: I think a great example that comes to my mind most recently in great action movies is the pencil in John Wick, where Mm. it's set up in the first John Wick and then it pays off in the second. That's obviously a long con. You can you can condense that and do it in just one movie or one show. But it's still a really great example of a plant and then a payoff within action. Yeah. Screencraft actually gives an example, which I think is really spot on and is, of course, one of the sort of iconic. I wouldn't call this an action sequence, but it is a suspense sequence in Mission Impossible, the very first one, the best one, where we're told right at the beginning when they're breaking into Langley, we're told at the beginning that any changes in temperature, any pressure, any sound that's going to tip off the CIA, that we're heisting them. So... What happens in the sequence? Something that changes temperature and changes sound and changes pressure. And that is another example of planting something and then paying it off. Of course, every heist will do that. And that's just a really great example.
1: Yeah. Just in general, there's nothing better than paying off something that you planted earlier in a script. Mm -hmm. I love, love that feeling where you're like, oh, this can come back into play.
0: Yeah. Do you find it like, do you come up with these? First, do you come up with these in the moment? Do you come up with these when you do later passes of these? Because this is really hard to me.
1: This is really hard most of the time. It is um, later passes. Mm-hmm. And the, the one example from something that I've written uh, in a script called Father Daughter Day, there was a moment where a father and a daughter they went out to dinner, and the father couldn't see, so he pulled out this like keychain, but he had a little flashlight on the keychain. And mm-hmm. so he would start shining the, the menu, and the daughter's like, Dad, Jesus, you're embarrassing me, yada, blah, 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 blah. That was in the act one. And then in act three, when father and daughter are like chained up, they're fucked, they're about to die, their like belongings get emptied on the floor, and the daughter looks at the keychain and she's like, Oh my God. And somehow, <laughs> through her brilliance, she managed to take the uh, flashlight apart and then pick a lock.
0: And mm-hmm. so it was something
1: like that where I was like, Oh, that's oh. interesting.
0: It's like a twist on the flashlight also.
1: Yeah. Like the, the, it was this one thing. And by the way, earlier the flashlight like sparked this huge argument. She's like, I can't believe you carry this around. And it was obviously there. The argument was rooted in some other issues, but like the, mm-hmm. the trigger was a flashlight. And so it was something like that, where it's like the setup and the payoff um, that came much later. Yeah. I don't even know if it worked. I felt like it worked, but um, yeah, it
0: sounds like it worked.
1: It, yeah, it was something like that.
0: To me, it feels like that's, that's just not something that comes naturally to me. As someone who thinks about action sequences this much, it still doesn't come naturally to me. So I have to break the action sequence down and just look at it yeah. as its own sequence and then think of like, okay, what are the obstacles I can throw in this character's way based on the environment that we're in or based on the arc I want to show for this character in this sequence. And then when I create these obstacles, then I can better plan for what I need to plant earlier. Yeah. it's hard.
1: It is hard. And what I said was like a big picture example, but Mm -hmm. in the action sequences, yeah, you know, I think it can be as small as like walking into a library, for instance, right? Like, let's say you're looking for a bad guy and you pass like the the librarian and she's like, shh, and you don't want to disrespect the librarian because it's so quiet. And then- like a book comes into play or like something that happened yeah. with the life. Like you can do like these little setups and payoffs or you're fighting in silence. And then it turns into like a funny moment or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, there's things like Again, that. I feel like
0: last crusade with the librarian, he's like stamping the books. Oh, that's right. And that's just a thing that happens. And then they use it as cover to break the that's, floor.
1: That's a perfect example of a setup and a payoff in somewhat of a, not action scene, but in a sequence.
0: I'm so jealous of that movie. And by jealous, I mean I love it so much.
1: Well, what's that? I mean, you know, that's when, – when you're in a jam, you become uh, creative. Like you're like, it's okay, true. H- how would I get out of this? It's true. Oh, well, what if they're like drilling in the middle of the floor? Well, why would they be drilling? I don't know. Or, you know, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. That's actually a good segue to the last thing, number five, which is the hero fails at times. And I do yeah. think you're right that – when you're forced to have your character fail or like jam them in a situation that feels impossible, you start to be creative about how to get out of it. And that creates some really interesting set pieces that become very unique to you or the the jam that you've put your character in. So yeah, this is absolutely key in my opinion, unless the entire point of your character is they're the most powerful being in the entire universe. But I think even then Captain Marvel and wanda still get fucked up a little bit and all the movies Mm they're in so i mean that's kind of my favorite part about action heroes and i think why john wick yeah and i think why john wick stands out for so many people is because as badass as he is he gets his ass kicked yeah he is nearly dead (laughs) by the end of all of those movies and that's what makes it so fun because he still prevails. And that's what makes the hero so fun to watch.
1: I agree with everything you just said.
0: I think it's sometimes hard, especially when you when you fall in love with our heroes, though, to make them fail. I've definitely yeah. read writers who had their heroes just be so awesome in an action sequence because they think that's what makes their hero awesome. Um, but actually, I think what makes heroes so awesome when you're watching and reading them is that despite all the obstacles thrown against them, and despite how in pain they are, they still get back up?
1: Yeah, I definitely think we've learned, we've leaned into like a vulnerable hero, and I think that, personally speaking, that's the way to go. They fail all the time, mm-hmm. even if they're amazing. That's what I like.
0: Or maybe we're just in this phase though, because I'm thinking of like Errol Flynn and like some of the classic heroes. Mm-hmm. They were just awesome and fun all the time.
1: It is cool to write an awesome and fun hero. Who just, at some point, will have to fail. But when he's in his like moments, he's he's not failing.
0: Yeah, on top of the world. Anyway, you do you.
1: You do you. So those are the five. We did it. <laughs> just, to, just to, just to rehash what we just went through. Number one, have a beginning, middle, and end with each action, action sequence. Number two, have high stakes. Number three, have a revealing character moment. Number four, have plants and payoffs. And number five. Have your protagonist or hero fall at times within the action sequence.
0: Yeah. Josh, would you give a recommendation for your, the best action movie that someone should watch for these things? Wow.
1: just right on the spot. <laughs> I do think a lo- the Bourne movies. Yeah. The Bourne movies are so good and he's always so, so smart. And I, I love that. I'm trying to think which Indiana Jones, which Mission Impossible... The Mission Impossible movies, like the the Ghost Protocol in particular, they do some... Just, yeah, actually, Ghost Protocol. I, that's the yeah. one with Jeremy Renner. The first one with Jeremy Renner when Tom Cruise is scaling the building. And J.J. Abrams is like the master at doing this. We've talked about this before. I think in like his action sequences, it's always a complication after a complication and a failure. So I would lean towards the mission impossible movies actually.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fantastic bit of advice. My After I mean, three. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No beginning, middle ends. He nails it. It's he's master. Again, I'm going to go back to Terminator two. I think that's a really great classic example. Indiana Jones and the last crusade is my iconic action movie. As an example, it's taught me a lot So those are going to be my two. I feel like that's not that interesting.
1: No. I wish I could be more
0: surprising with my examples. Top Gun.
1: Top Gun. We can talk about Maverick. Oh my
0: God. (laughs) We're definitely talking about Maverick. I can't wait.
1: Full spoiler episode coming soon. (laughs) Geeking out about Maverick.
0: All right. Let's wrap it up. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. The challenge of screenwriting is to say much in little, and then take half of that little out and still preserve an effect of leisure and natural movement. Raymond Chandler. Wow. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0.
1: And I'm Josh Hallman on Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Boom as always the act two podcast is
0: oh shit as <laughs> always the act two podcast is a production of act two a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter this episode is edited by paul lundquist music by 414 Bag, which you can find on spotify
1: now boom <laughs>